0: Welcome to Jersey Guy Sports, your sports talk home for the Yankees, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. I'm your host, Don. I want to thank you for listening. Now today I'm going to be discussing Rutgers basketball post-mortem. Season is done for Rutgers basketball. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Also, Yankees preseason thoughts. Anthony Volpe needs to be with this team. Will he be? Hmm. We're going to have to see. So let's go ahead and get started. So Rutgers basketball's season is done. An awful yet fitting end to the 2023 season for Rutgers basketball. Unfortunately, it was kind of sad, although a lot of people could have seen it coming with the way the team had deteriorated over the last month and a half or so. Uh, And it ended in a fitting way with Rutgers losing a five-point lead with 25 seconds left in the NIT opener. And that kind of symbolized the way their year went, right? Um, The year started really, really well. They beat up on all the crappy teams they played prior to the Big Ten schedule starting. Um, They had a pretty good year within the Big Ten heading right into the middle of February, beginning of February, maybe. Um, They really had some great upsets. They played pretty well on the road, which they didn't normally do. Um, And they were very strong despite, you know, a year where we lost Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr. coming into this year, a lot of thoughts were, how is Paykel going to get a good team together and how we can ever compete without two of the best players in the history of our program being here, right? Um, so we started strong and then we just folded, basically. As soon as Muat Mag went down, you know, the season changed completely. And it was really sad for Rutgers fans, you know, really, really sad. I do want to say this, though, and my position has been the same, I think, since the moment he took over the program, and that is I have faith in Coach Peichel, and I think everybody should, too, and there's a lot of this sort of mealy-mouth, you know, uh, hot take of the moment about coaches and teams, and that's the kind of, you know, that's how we are in society nowadays, right? You know, a team loses a game, and they suck. A team wins a game, and they're awesome and the best team ever. It's a lot of this recency bias, right? We, we sort of obviously make our opinions and feelings based on most recent events and not usually the totality of events. And that's, you know, I think what a lot of people are guilty here. I see a few people, you know, questioning Michael and, uh, you know, I don't know, can he really take a team farther? And I think people forget just how bad this Rutgers basketball team was before Michael got here. He has earned everyone's faith many times over. I mean, we cannot get involved in short-term thinking and we shouldn't have any of this recency bias. He has dragged this team out of the dumpster fire it was in when he took over. Remember, it was years before we had been able to win a Big Ten road game, you know, before he got here. We were a below 500 basketball team overall. And we were at the very, very, very bottom of the Big Ten, the last place in the Big Ten. that That's where we started, guys, right? So, Since Now, you fast forward to now, we've beaten Purdue five of the last seven times, right? Including two times in the last two years when they were the number one team in the friggin' country, right? We beat them on the road this year when they were number one, when they were undefeated, right? We have beaten Indiana, who is a good, as everyone knows, basketball team consistently. Rutgers actually wins road games nowadays. Now, despite losing... As I mentioned before, two of the greatest basketball players in our history, in Harper and Joe Baker, the team was very, very competitive for most of the year. That is right up until the point where we lost kind of a key cog in Moat Mag. And again, it was so sad at the time he went down because Mag had his issues in the beginning of the year, you know, ironically enough. And he had just started coming into his own. He was consistently a good defensive player, but he was starting to really contribute offensively, make key shots, get key rebounds, run the break well. He had done – he was at the height of of how well he could play at the moment that he went out for the year. So it was just a a killing injury for us, and it showed on the floor. What also showed on the floor was Rutgers basketball team fell apart, and Mulcahy was an utter, complete, epic disaster down the stretch for Rutgers. A lot of team did not play well, but Mulcahy drove this team to the ground. He was so bad for so long – It was almost unwashable when Paul Mulcahy was on the floor, and that hurt. Uh, I mean, again, I don't want to blame it all on him. The team fell apart, but Mulcahy was dragging them down like a 10,000-pound anchor. Um, He was just dreadful over the last month or two. As it stands now, right? I want to talk a little bit about positivity, though. Because, you know, as as I say some of these negative things and trying to say, you know, has earned our faith many, 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 many times over, guys. Again, this is a team that, you know, has gone to the tournament twice in a row, three if you count 2020, where we would have been in. Um, this year, you know, we were right on the bubble, you know, and we made the NIT, and that was a, apparently a giant disaster, you know. And this is a team member. Remember, that was below 500. could not win a Big Ten game at all, could not literally win any road games when, when Paykel took over this game, this this team. And now we made the NIT, just missed the tournament, and, you know, people are getting on Paykel. And, and I know th- there's not – no one's perfect. Obviously, I have certain issues with Paykel, but I think folks need to step back, take a breath, take a look at the big picture – avoid some recency bias, and take a fresh look at how good this coach is and, and the overall improvements that this team has made. Now, as it stands at this moment, Rutgers recruiting remains, I don't even know how to put it, it's at the height of our history. Like We have never, ever, ever had recruits that are rated as high as they are that are about to come into this program as it stands right now. Right. So as I speak and here we are in March of 2023, if we look forward just to the fall of this year, we have a five star forward, Gavin Griffiths, who may be one of the absolute best shooters in the entire class of 2023 um, and who is a top 25 in the country recruit committed to Rutgers. He will be with us in about six, seven months. Right. So that that's one. We have a five star forward who may be one of the best shooters in the country right? We also have a four-star power forward coming in. Um, He looks pretty good too. That's just this year. 2024, we have the single highest recruit we have ever gotten in Rutgers history in Ace Bailey. He's ranked top 10 in the nation. He's a dynamic forward, can do everything. This is for the class of 2024, right? Like number five, six recruit in the country, in the whole country, right? Coming to Rutgers. We also have a four-star coming that year, and Delquan Warren. He's explosive point guard off the dribble. is another top 100 in the U.S. commitment. So we have just top, top, top recruits currently committed to Rutgers over the next year or two. So it's important not only to look back and say, you know, all right, Paykel has really done well despite the last month and a half of this season right? Before that last month and a half, by the way, people were, you know, Paykel for president, you know, and a bad six weeks and all of a sudden, you know, we have got to question him. It's just silly, guys. Um, So as we look backwards on his accomplishments at Rutgers, Paykel, we also have to look forward on to what is a tremendous, absolutely incredible upcoming recruiting class this year and in the class of 2024. So if you had all this up, I, I think you just have to Take a breath, step back, and understand that Coach Peichel is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous coach. He deserved the extension he got on his contract, and he continues to lead Rutgers to better things. Now, if we start to lose a lot of these commitments, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what Peichel can do to make up for that. But at the moment, I have every faith that Peichel can, you know, continue to lead this team forward in Rutgers basketball. He is about twenty eighth on my list of concerns about Rutgers sports stuff. Michael is tremendous. So as we end this postmortem for Rutgers basketball, um, and we sort of uh, <laughs> dig the graves of this program this year and what was just a, a car that, whose wheels fell off at the end of the year and in the NIT, um, we do have to have some positivity going forward. So that's all I have about Rutgers, and I'm going to talk uh, for just a few minutes about the Yankees. It's hard to judge much in preseason for baseball. And if you don't realize that, as I pivot to the Yanks here, look back on last season's Kyle Higashioka's 2022 preseason. Higgy, we call him, right? Higgy looked like Aaron Judge last year in preseason in 2022. He batted like 400. He had seven homers. He was hitting a homer like every other at-bat. And when the regular season came around, it translated into absolutely nothing at all. And I mean nothing. Piggy barely hit like 130 into mid-June. He had a total of zero homers until late June. This is after hitting seven in preseason, right? So you can't use what happens in preseason for veterans, for people who have been around three or four years, as a gauge to how they're going to do. It just doesn't always translate, right? So preseason, it really doesn't mean much at most times for seasoned veterans. However, for rookies, it's all we have to judge them by. Now, Anthony Volpe... What I want to talk about, looks like a budding star in every way, shape, or form. And you can use whatever kind of comments you want. He's got it. He has – he's a baseball player. He is, uh, you know, someone with all the right instincts. And you watch him, and I have MLB TV. I watch the away games, the ones that aren't on yes, as well as the ones on yes. And he looks like a star. He throws behind runners. He steals bases. He's fast. Um, he seems like he has the right instincts to play, and he just – Feels like a player. Now, we'll see if that actually translates into anything, but that's what it feels like. Um, And the Yankees management geniuses, he says ironically, they're deciding as we speak, I think, you know, if Anthony Volpe is going to start the season with the Yankees or whether he can try to manipulate... Volpe service time, you know, and keep him in the minors. I'm not going to go into the whole thing about manipulating service time, but if you don't bring up a person until after a certain date, you then have control over that player for longer, and I'm not going into it. Um, But it is a consideration for teams, and it will be for the moron that is Cashman and Boone. Um, One good thing out of this, um, as far as the competition for shortstop with Volpe and the others, it does seem like Isaiah for Leffa is out you know, as the starting shortstop. ICAF will not be, it seems like, from the reporting. So that's helpful to Volpe's cause. So instead of three, the, you know, I guess the, it's down to, you know, Oswald Peraza um, and Anthony Volpe. And so the competition appears to be between those two. Now, Volpe does have, you know, an it factor, you know, I think. And you can tell, as I mentioned watching it, but the team seems to have, some kind of preference, possibly for Peraza, you know, because for some reason he played last year, and you know, I know he's Peraza is only batting one eighty or something in preseason here in limited time, and Volpe's batting over three hundred. He's got I don't know four, five, six steals already in the preseason. He's made every single play in the field. He's played tremendous defensively. He's had like fifty nine chances. He has no errors. He throws behind runners. He's stolen bases. He stole, by the way, fifty bases in the minors last year. That is not fifteen. That is five zero. Fifty bases he stole last year. He's already stole four or five of the preseason this year. He has good instincts. Um, you know, he bounces back from things, you know, after he struck out yesterday, he hit a double right afterwards. He he he's he's really looks like a good player. And again, I know you can't tell everything from preseason, but with rookies, that's all you can tell. And it feels like this kid has it. So we are going to see. What's what? Um, now, obviously, wonderful brain trust captain Mr. Brian Cashman has way, way too many infielders now. And I mean, way too many. We have seven infielders for four infield positions. And I'm not cat pitcher and catch, right? So for the infield positions, we have Anthony Volpe, Peraza, DJ LeMayhew, IKF, Anthony Rizzo. Gleyber Torres, and Donaldson. That's seven. Seven infielders. We have seven fucking infield positions for four spots. And you know what? If you want to count Oswaldo, Peralta, if you're worried about a backup, you know, uh, a person who can sub in, we already have one in, in, in Peralta who can play anywhere. So we we technically have eight fucking infielders for four positions. This is how Cashman builds this team. Now, Torres needs to be friggin' traded, Gleyber Torres. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Gleyber Torres does not have a position. He doesn't. I'm sorry. Now, if Peraza ends up playing shortstop instead of Volpe, Volpe may need to be our second baseman. If not right now, then later this year or very soon, right? And DJ, if that happens, had better play third base and not freaking Donaldson. Are you kidding me? You know, the fact that we're just dicking around with DJ in the make, who continues to kill me, Right. He's only a three time goal glove, a two-time batting champion. Let's let's move him around and not somebody else, right? And that makes a lot of sense, Cashman. In any case, the bottom line is Cashman's a moron. We have eight infielders for four positions, and Cashman's a moron. Um, quick assessments, and then I'll get out of here. Aaron Hicks looks awful. He still circles the ball. The ball lands three feet from him in, in the outfield. He looks lost out there. Donaldson looks terrible, terrible, terrible in the outfield. It's just it's hard to understand, you know, what what he is when he tries to hit. The team has many, many injuries and in this wonderful construction of this team. Um, Radon, our newest ace lefty starter, is out until at least May. The pitcher Trevino is out for a while with an arm injury. Tommy Canely is out on an acquisition that was good five years ago. He's already older and hurt. He's out. Uh, Bader is out for a while. Nestor Cortez just got back from an injury. Anthony Rizzo had a back scare already. I mean, it is March, guys. It's fucking March, right? You see the people I just listed? It's March. This is what results when you have an old GM whose game is passing by and you do not make changes to the team to make it younger and more athletic. We've done nothing on offense to fix his team. Now, Volpe stays, at least that's one of two. Dominguez should have been here, but he's not. So, you know, if you have at least Volpe on the team, that is that is something, right? You had, you know, Jason Dominguez sent down to the minors when you got Hicks losing balls on the outfield, striking out left and right, Bader's on the, on the IL. Why not, you know, God forbid he would play and do something unorthodox and put a 20-year-old who, you know, is a switch hitter, he had four homers, he had nine ribbies, he looked tremendous when he came up. Why not fucking use him? I mean, you know, God forbid that we do something unorthodox on this buttoned-up team with ridiculous pass-me-by, you know, type of management. A couple good things I've seen. um, The pitching stuff in general, by the way, is getting absolutely lit up but some good spots are marinaccio looks tremendous it's the kid from tom's river that just continues to impress he looks great and michael king i don't think he's given up a single run the entire postseason i think he's pitched almost nine innings and has been just brilliant perfect not a single run he looks great marinaccio and king look great the rest of the pitching staff looks kind of like dog shit you know severino's look bad he had a pretty good outing the other day cortez got roughed up in his first outing the the Starters and relievers kind of look pretty bad in the preseason. But again, you can't always tell from that, but it's not a great sign. Um, we'll see how it goes. If they keep Volpe up here, you know, maybe it's 50-50 whether they keep him on the team. I'm not having any confidence with this wonderful brain trust, but time will tell. That's all I have for you today. I want to thank you for listening to Jersey Guy Sports. Please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends all about it, and I'll be back soon with some more sports talk. Thanks, and have a good day.